a, uh, a couple of times a year-ish, uh, I before we have communion, I like to just take some time to talk about communion, to just to reiterate the importance of what we do and how we should approach the table. And uh, I, I was thinking about it this week, and I look back, and I, I actually haven't done that this year, and we're like halfway through the year. So today is the day, and uh, just wanted to focus on communion and uh, just to get us thinking about it before we actually celebrate it together. Um, I wanted to remind us about how important it is that we approach this the right way. And I wanted to go through uh, a couple of portions of Scripture, but there's very clear directions uh, in Scripture that, uh, that, that pertain to this that I think we should keep in mind, that sometimes we we maybe don't think about enough. But today I just wanted to go through those to remind us all again. Jesus started this whole thing with his disciples uh, at the time of the Passover. And uh, the Passover is the annual celebration uh, that the Jewish people have to remember their freedom from slavery after 400 years in Egypt. And it's no mistake that Jesus chose the time of the Passover to to, to start this practice of the Lord's Supper or communion uh, that we still do today. He started it that night, really, and, uh, and we've continued it on. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Luke chapter 22, and then we're going to have a look at 1 Corinthians 11. But Luke 22, uh, verses 7 to 8, this is, this is the very first one that Jesus did with his disciples. It says, Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived, where the Passover lamb, uh, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so that we can eat it together. Then go to 14, verse 14. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then down to verse 19, yeah. He took some bread, he gave thanks to God for it, he broke it in pieces, he gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you, do this to remember me. After supper he took another cup of wine, he said this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. This is the first, this is the first time uh, this, this was done. They were prepping for the Passover meal, and this was how it all got started. So remember Passover is the time that uh, the Jewish people celebrated how death passed over them. Remember the story uh, back in Exodus that they sacrificed a perfect lamb, and they took the blood of the lamb, and they smeared it over the door, uh, the down the doorposts and around the, around the door. And any house that had the blood of the lamb smeared a, a, across the door, that when death came that night, death passed over that house. And uh, God spared the Israelites from losing their firstborn. And uh, it was a, 
a horrible, horrible night for those who, who weren't under the blood of the Lamb, so to speak. It's, it, it, so it celebrates that and remembers the passing over of death. It also celebrates God leading them out of slavery, that that was the night that they packed up, that they ate that meal with unleavened bread because they didn't want to take the time to let it rise. They ate that meal with their shoes on, with their bags packed, ready to go, that God was about to do something. And that very night, they walked out free. Now, the Jewish people still celebrate Passover today. but, But on this night, and these verses that we just read, Jesus changes the meaning of Passover for those who believe in him. It's not just a remembrance of when death passed over. It's not just a time to remember when, when, when the Jewish people were set free from sin. No, Jesus changes the meaning slightly for those who believe in him. He says, I, he says, I want you to eat this meal in remembrance of me. Do this to remember me, he said. And All the time they're thinking Passover, we're remembering the lamb, the freedom from Egypt. We're remembering all of that. And he says, no, listen, listen, do this to remember me. And so that the meaning of it, it slightly changes, takes on a a, a deeper perspective. On this night, Jesus changes this for all those who believe in him. He, He says, eat this meal in remembrance of me. This is, he says, this is the new covenant between God and his people. It's an agreement that's been confirmed with my blood, he says. He is the new Passover lamb who has saved us. And anyone who is under the blood of the new Passover lamb, death will pass over you. Isn't that an awesome thought? This is what we celebrate when we gather around the table. He said, do this. And when you're doing it, remember me. That's what he said. That's the command about gathering around this table. He tells us to remember. Like communion gives us this opportunity to worship Jesus by remembering the sacrifice that he was willing to make for our sake. We remember all of it. We we remember that he left heaven to be born as a human baby. We remember that he became poor so that we could become rich. We remember that he paid for our sins and took our place on Calvary. We remember that his body was broken. We remember that his blood was spilled for our redemption. We remember that he conquered death and, and that he shares that victory now with all those who believe. We remember that he, allow, he allowed himself to be shamed so that the shame could be lifted off of us. All of this we remember when we gather around the table. We remember that salvation is through the work of Jesus on the cross. It's not a result of good works. This is what the table reminds us of. That he paid the debt we could never pay, right? That that we can't earn it. We We can't pay for it. We can't live a life good enough to find acceptability in the eyes of God, that we needed a Savior. We needed a Passover lamb. And he says, remember what I've done. Remember, it's not a a result of your good works. You remember that my body was broken, that my blood was spilt for you. This is what we remember. 
He told us to remember. Isn't that significant, honestly? When you just ponder it for a moment. He, he said to the disciples, do this and remember me. And, and, and that, that, that command, that, that point is still as strong and as poignant as it ever was. And so we remember all of those things. It's important that we celebrate communion properly. In Corinth, and we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 11 in just one second, but in Corinth, they got it wrong. They, they, they were messing it up. They, 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 they couldn't have got it any, any worse. They just totally destroyed the way that communion was supposed to be handled, the way that it was supposed to be approached, the way that it was supposed to be thought of and dealt with. Everything that they were doing was wrong. And so Paul writes to them to try to correct some of their uh, bad uh, habits that they had fallen into. I put up 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen to 22. It says this, But in the following uh, instructions, I cannot praise you, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. First, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church, and to some extent, I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you so that, so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. When you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others, and as a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. Fairly strong words. This, this takes place right after, then when he says, um, you know, the, the very next word is, now I pass on to you what I receive from the Lord. You know, the passage that we read all the time, that on the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And then he goes on. But that's, this, these are the words that preface those words, right? He's, he's bringing teaching and correction. In Corinth, they used to have what they would call uh, an agape feast or a love feast. Now, the whole idea of the love feast was that it was... In our understanding, it, it, would basically, it was basically supposed to be a giant potluck, right? That you come to church and, and people bring food. So the rich people who had more money would bring more food than the poor people who didn't have money and could barely afford any food. But the whole idea was you bring what you can bring. If I bring more than you, it doesn't matter. We all pool it together and we have this great love feast where we show love and care for each other and we show love for the Lord in our generosity and, in, and, you know, and all that stuff's going on. And after the, after the love feast, they would end the meal by having communion together at the end of the agape feast. And so... It's, it started off to be a really wonderful thing, but some bad things had begun to happen at this meal. Rich people were bringing food for themselves and not sharing. Could you imagine having a church potluck? Seriously. 
Like, uh, who brings like some, you know, like, I don't know, Dennison brings some jerk chicken. He's not even here. Are you here, Dennison? I, oh, I thought I saw him. Okay, so he like brings some jerk chicken and I go to get some and he goes, no, uh, sorry, Pastor Jeff, that, you're not allowed. What do you mean I'm not allowed? No, that's just for those who have an income of 100000 or more. P- pardon? Are you saying I can't have that? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, this... This, it's, it's insanity. But this is kind of what was going on. You had rich people bringing food for themselves and refusing to share. So poor people were being left out. They were going hungry. They didn't have anything at the love feast. They were sitting there being offended, being hurt, being treated badly. And this is leading into communion. And Paul is saying, you guys have got this messed up. It got so bad, he said, some of you are even getting drunk before having communion. How messed up can this get? You guys are lost. You've, you've, this, this whole process is broken, right? So he scolds them for this long and then gives them, you know, now I pass on to you what I received he says, what I received from the Lord himself, see, which is important. He's not, he's not giving them his own rules. He's saying, this is what I received from the Lord himself. This is what the Lord says to do, he's saying. And, and then goes on, on the night he was betrayed, he, took the, he takes the bread, he breaks it, he passes it, they share it. This is my body, which is given for you. After supper, he passes out the drink, they all share it together. And he says, this is my blood, which was spilled for you. This, we do it together. The whole idea is we do it together. You guys have got this messed up. Poor people are being left out. The whole idea of the meal is to show love for everyone, to eat and share it together. And you're, he says, you're doing more harm than good. It's better that people don't go to church. Could you imagine? He says, stop it. It got so bad, they're getting drunk. Not a great way to prep for communion. So Paul gives them instructions on breaking the bread, on drinking the wine in remembrance of Jesus. He reminds them of the proper approach, and he reminds us as well of the proper approach that we should take as we come to the table of the Lord. It's a time of self-reflection. You can't get around it, and and it's foolish to, to ignore it. It's right there before our very eyes. It is a clear time of self-reflection. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven to 30. It says this. So anyone who eats this bread, these are the words that follow the regular, <coughs> excuse me, the regular passage that we normally read. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. This, or that is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. And he even goes as far as to say this, that is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. You can try to explain that away as much as you like, but he says that fairly clearly. Verse 27 and 28, he says, you are to examine yourself. He makes it very, very clear 
that as we approach the table, it's a time of self-reflection. It's a time to become a little more self-aware, to look inside and say, Lord, (laughs) is there any wicked way in me? See if there's any wicked way in me. And make it right before we pass out the bread and pass out the cup. it's, It's a time to look inward. It's a time to deal with unforgiveness. It's a time to deal with any kind of grudge or anger that you may have towards another person. It's about honoring the body of Christ, that we do this together. Sinners all standing on level ground, all of us needing a Savior, no one better than the other, that we have to make this right, to look inside, to make sure that our pride is in check, that our anger, that our unforgiveness, that any bitterness, any rage, any issues in our lives, any sin, any, anything that's, that's not right, he wants us to make it right. We, we're to give ourselves to Jesus afresh. That's why we do this all the time, to remind us that he gave himself for us. And so now we are called to give ourselves to him. This is what it reminds us of, that we give ourselves to Jesus afresh to express our willingness to obey him, to serve him with the life that he has provided us. It's a time that we recognize his sacrifice and his greatness, and we pledge ourselves to follow him until the day that he calls us home. It's a time to ask for his help. It's a time to ask for his strength, for his healing, for his wisdom, for his power. It's a time to look inside, to recognize that you need him badly. This is what it calls us to do, to reflect, that I am a sinner in great need of a Savior. This is a time of self-reflection. We approach this time with humility, right? Because you know and I know that we are unworthy, but yet He loves us. It's a time that we show gratitude for the peace, for the hope, and for the joy that he has brought into our lives. That one day, one great day, soon and very soon, Victor, we will see the king. This is what it reminds us of. Paul says it's a time of self-reflection. And it's a time that you, and it's, and it's something that you should be taking seriously. It's a time that you should honor the body of Christ. That's what he says. It's a time, if you do anything and and you're not honoring the body of Christ, then it's wrong. That we're to honor the body of Christ. We're to bring forgiveness and unity, not division, not separation, not cliques, not tears of of who's more important than other. It's, it's It's about finding oneness in Him. There are consequences for taking a casual approach to communion. If you think you can get drunk, he's saying, if you think you can hold grudges, you think you can laugh away your sin, you think you can just party like like a wild animal in church, and then we end the love feast with communion, and you think this is right? It's why some of you are sick. Why this? You know, he goes on. There's there's consequences to approaching this wrongly, and so. There, there's a heavy price to pay when we, when we approach it 
in the wrong way. So he's reminding us very powerfully. It's a time of self-reflection. Take it seriously. And make whatever needs to be made right, make it right. It's also a time of declaration. Now, now I want you to get ready because I want you to shout amen a couple of times, okay? It's fired up a little bit. I know it's mellow, hot, casual July Sunday, but, but, but help me out a little bit, okay? It's a time of declaration as well, okay? And this is what I mean. Communion is this time of declaration to the world or really to anybody who, who might want to take any notice. We are declaring every month when we gather around this table that we are people of the new covenant, that there is a new covenant, that Jesus is the Passover lamb. We declare that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We declare that we are one family under God. We declare that red, yellow, black, and white, all of us are saved only by his grace. We, we declare publicly that we believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus and that he is the ultimate Passover lamb who died for the sins of the world. We declare that he suffered and he died and paid the price that nobody else could pay. We declare all of this when we gather around the table. We declare that he is the Savior who was promised by God to come many, many years ago. We declare that he is the way, the truth, and the life. We declare that he is the one spoken of by the prophets so many years ago, that he is the suffering servant that Isaiah prophesied about in Isaiah chapter 53, that by his wounds we are healed. That he is the one, and we declare that today. He, that we declare that Jesus is the Son of God who is given the place of highest honor, the Bible says. That he's been given the name above all names. That we declare at this name that's above every name. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We declare that today. We declare it when we stand around the table. We declare it when you take it. We believe this stuff. It's not just a mechanical thing. It's not just something we do because it's a ritual or a habit. We do it because it's powerful and meaningful and we approach it with life and and, and with seriousness. This is what we declare. We declare that because of his victory on the cross, we have been adopted. We have been set free. We have been transformed. We declare that every time we eat this bread and we drink this cup, that he will come again. Do it until he comes again. We declare we're going to do it because one day he will come again. We declare this. He will come again. We declare that he's alive. We declare that he is well. We declare that our future in him is secure. We declare that our hope is not in this world or any amount of possessions that we may gather here. But we declare and we shout at the enemy, you are defeated for we are under the blood of the Passover lamb and death cannot touch us. This is what we declare. Sorry, I just got excited there. Yeah, This is what we declare. Every time we gather around the table, the blood of the Passover lamb is around my door and death cannot touch me. 
The enemy is defeated. He can huff and puff and try to bow some people's houses down. But my house is built on the rock. And he cannot blow me down. And he cannot have me. He cannot win. He is a loser. He is lost. He's already lost. We have won. The blood of the Lamb protects us, covers us. That death will pass over us. This is what we celebrate when we gather around the table. Communion is not supposed to be, by the way, a time of grief. Sometimes, look, we got to take our sin seriously. We got to do our self reflection seriously. But communion is not supposed to be treated like a loved one has just died. He ain't dead. So why do we treat it like he is? It's a celebration of victory. It is the victory over every other victory that you've ever possibly experienced. Any baseball victory, although we had a great one this week. Although every Argo, every Blue Jay, every Toronto Maple Leaf victory, every victory that you've seen, every victory at work, it pales in comparison to the victory over death. He wins. He's won. He will continue to win. He is unbeatable. He is the champ. He is unstoppable. He is undescribable. He is the one, the only Lamb of God. He is it. And so we celebrate that. He say, you are not dead. You are alive. This is why it's called a celebration. And we sing songs and we remember. Sometimes I, I, I love all the old communion hymns. I love those, so don't get me wrong, because they're really powerful, and they remind us of so much of what Jesus did. But my goodness, folks, this is, this is, this is a, it's a, it's a party-slash-celebration, and we approach it, yes, with seriousness, yes, with a measure of self-reflection, but Let's not steal the joy out of it. This is a fun time, a good time. You have won. You are on the winning team. You cannot be defeated. The Passover lamb has poured his blood out over you. This is a time to say, thank God I'm alive. Thank God that you are alive. Thank God that my future is secure, that my life is in your hands, that the enemy can do all he wants, but I am free today. I am free because of the work of Jesus accomplished and won on the cross. It's just that simple. It's not supposed to be a time of grief. It's supposed to be a time of celebration. It's a time of thanks for sins forgiven. It's a, it's a time for joyful anticipation. For one great day, we will see him face to face. And we will gather around the table. And the Lamb himself will lead us in that supper. That will be the day of days. We, on that first communion, Jesus gave thanks. And you know what? This week it just gripped me when he was talking to the disciples. He's, he's, he gathers them around for the first communion to teach them this is, this is now the deeper meaning of Passover, that, that you're going to do this in remembrance of me. And he pauses and it says he gave thanks. Now you think about, you think about what he's facing I just hours away 
and he pauses and he gives thanks to God. It's, it's a phenomenal thought. And it just hit me again. How awesome, how committed, how strong Jesus really was. He's facing death, torture, suffering, something the likes that we've never seen. And he pauses to say, thank you, God. Thank you for the bread. Thank you for the cup. Thank you for the body that's going to be broken. Thank you for the blood that's going to be spilled. That's a powerful, powerful moment that I don't think they got until later. But it hit me today that we're talking about this being a time of celebration. Jesus himself, on the first communion, the first thing he did was give thanks, even though he was about to suffer and die. So, you know what it reminds us of? No matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through, communion reminds us of who we are and that we are to give thanks no matter what. For we have a great Savior, we have a great future, and there is nothing that can steal that and take that away from us. And it's all because of Jesus.